If somebody believes they're a failure, I don't try to show them how they're going to be a success. I show them how failure is going to get them to what they want. And then they can decide if they want to continue to be a failure or not. So that's a great way to modify an existing pattern. Hey, it's Jason Flatland here. You're listening to The Jason Flatland Show, where I'll be sharing everything from sales and webinar tips to improving productivity and reaching your infinite potential. Hey, Jason Flatland here. I'm going to talk about belief patterns today. And I got so much to say on this topic. I'll probably shoot many other videos, and I think we're just going to scratch the surface on it. But belief patterns to me are the most important thing to understand if you want to create change, meaning change inside of yourself. So you want to improve a habit, meaning change in terms of coaching. Maybe you're coaching somebody else or you're training someone and you're helping someone. So helping them means changing a belief pattern. And if you're selling something in business, 100%, one of the most valuable things that you can do is learn how to change a belief pattern. And you will sell more people, they'll be happier to buy from you, and they will get better results. So let's roll up our sleeves, get to work. Let's talk about dealing with belief patterns. The first thing is, what is a belief pattern? A belief pattern is essentially something you've bought into that you now accept pretty much as fact. And so imposter syndrome is a very common belief pattern that a majority of successful people have. I think 70% of professionals suffer from imposter syndrome for a decent chunk of their career where they think, oh, I'm not really as good as they say I am. I'm not really qualified to do the things that I've been qualified to do by other people. And at any moment or any given time, somebody's going to expose me or I'm going to expose myself. That is a belief pattern. The belief pattern is that somehow I'm not good enough no matter what I've achieved and that one day it will all topple down. It's a very, very insidious belief pattern. Very common one and very insidious at the same time. And so until that belief pattern is changed, no amount of accomplishment will offset that. No amount of achievement will make somebody change that belief pattern, right? So that's one of them. Another one here, another common one is I I, I procrastinate all the time, so therefore I don't get stuff done. (sighs) Careful with that one, my friend, because the belief pattern is I can't be productive. That's essentially what it is, uh, the shorthand of it. The belief is I tend to be lazy and I don't get to do the things that I should be doing. And as a result, I don't make progress, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I could break that belief pattern down a hundred different ways without even trying. It's like, do you procrastinate on your heart beating? No. Do you procrastinate on your eyes blinking? No. (laughs) Do you procrastinate on breathing? No. Right. Do you procrastinate on procrastinating? No. You immediately act on inaction. You're like, what? Okay, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here, right? And so you could argue with me, which is great. I want you to start arguing with me because a belief pattern is something you believe to be 100% factual. That's why it's called a belief pattern because you believe it. And I just have to introduce enough doubt to crumble the foundation of that belief pattern for you to be open to adjusting that belief pattern or perhaps even replacing it with something greater. Because you might come back at me and say, well, yeah, Jason, you're talking about automatic processes, the biology of breathing and all that stuff. Okay, I go, great. So can't we build a system where you taking action is as automatic as you breathing? And now they say, huh, wait a second, maybe I can. And I gotcha. (laughs) I've introduced enough doubt for you to doubt your belief pattern. That's all I need to do there. Uh, And so... These are examples. I'm showing you breaking and delinking uh, belief patterns, but 
uh, let's talk more about some of the belief patterns first so you can spot them easier because they're so automatic, it's easy uh, to let them go. So, you know, I suck and I won't try anymore. Or I suck, therefore I'll stay small is a very common belief pattern. Uh, I believe money is, is the root of all evil. So therefore I won't make money. Or people have to cheat or get lucky in order to make money. And I don't want to cheat. So therefore the only way I can make money is if I get lucky. And then they might have a uh, a belief that runs parallel to that that says, if I get money by being lucky, then I don't deserve it because I didn't earn it. So by the way, if they get it, they will self-sabotage. This is why most lottery winners go broke very quickly and they end up worse off than they were before they won the lottery. Because if their belief pattern is built around unworthiness and then they get millions and millions of dollars, all that does is serve to magnify their unworthiness. And that's why they end up worse off than they were before. Their belief pattern is, I can't earn money any other way than buying this ticket. If that's the case, they will self-sabotage to preserve that identity that's been linked to that belief. A big belief in, in that I've observed with a lot of my clients is, I'm not worthy, therefore I won't ask for it. So they don't ask for the things they want in life. And guess what? They probably don't get them. And that's centered around a belief. So you can see, hopefully, how insidious some of these belief patterns are. By the way, most belief patterns are built around limitations. I, I said this to a client one day on a sales call. There was like 100 people in the room. I was trying to sell them all because why not, right? And one of the clients said to me, like, hey, if I try this and I fail, blah, blah, blah. I said to the whole audience, I go, isn't this interesting? Nobody has ever in the history of anything I've ever sold to me says, Jason, what happens if I buy this product and it works even better than I thought? What happens, Jason, if I buy this product and I make millions of dollars and everything goes right for me on the first try? I'm like, isn't it interesting that nobody in the history of the thousands of hours of sales calls that I've done has once ever went that way with it? They always go the other way. What if everything fails? What if it all falls apart? What if overnight it changes? It's like, isn't that interesting? So our belief Patterns are almost always built around limitations. Very few people have this belief pattern that says, no matter what, I will always be safe. I will always be safe because I am an infallible soul as part of God. I am the flake of gold from the gold that is God. And my soul is eternal. So therefore, I can never actually be damaged. That's some Bhagavad Gita stuff for you there, right? So therefore, I'm safe. Very few people have that belief. You, you meet a real sage. You meet a real... Prabhupada, if you will, which is a master at who others uh, bow their feet at. Other masters bow to the feet of this master. That's a master of masters, right? They have that belief. They have the belief that I'm connected to the divine. And so therefore, in this world, I am indestructible. And I transcend the limitations and the pains and sufferings of this world. Very few people get there, man. But if they do, that's a belief worth holding on to. But most of us have our beliefs centered around limitations. So at the core of it, and again, I could speak for hours on this. I would love to create a training program around this and sell it, but most people won't buy this kind of stuff. This is like the vegetables and the floss. This is not like the candy and the chocolate cake that everybody wants here. But uh, maybe that's my own limiting belief pattern, by the way. So that's an interesting one. You might want to challenge me on that. At the root of it, there are only three ways to change a belief pattern. You either create a new, more compelling pattern in its place. You modify an existing pattern, or my favorite, which we'll save for last, you make the belief pattern collapse in on itself.
So let's get to work. Let's talk about the first one. Uh, how do you create a new, more compelling pattern? Uh, I'll give you an interesting one. Creating accountability to a third party is so powerful that it can override your own belief related to your fear of failure. Because now you've moved outside of yourself. So you can still have this belief that I'm afraid to fail. But you also have this other contradictive belief, which is if I let down my mentor, or if I let down this person that I'm accountable to, then I will feel really bad. And the fear of failure feels less bad to you than letting down your mentor. And so you move forward with it. Uh, I would probably skip leg day every damn time if it was up to me. But I got this personal trainer, Glenn. Leg day is his favorite thing, man. This dude's got an ass that doesn't quit. Like his glutes have glutes. It's it's incredible. I sometimes question my sexuality when I'm around the guy. He's that well put together uh, when it comes to the rear end. And man, he loves the program legs. And I do them. And I hate it. And it's miserable. And I'm glad when it's done, though. Because the pain of working out on leg day is less to me than the pain of letting down my personal trainer. And so that's one of the ways that you can uh, deal with a belief pattern is you put something else in contrast to it that is even greater, greater in terms of the pain or greater in terms of the contradiction. So they say, if I have to only do one of these two things, I will do this instead of that. This is the hardest way to adjust a belief pattern or to work around a belief pattern. It is the most common way, but it is also the hardest way. Uh, so the way that I think about it is in terms of positive distraction, ideally, I don't want to introduce another pain and then have that pain be greater if you fail to comply, but easier for you to comply to. I would prefer a, what I call a positive distraction to change an existing belief if we're going to go down this route, uh, is make the light so attractive that you naturally walk away from the darkness. Uh, as a sales close I used to use, I haven't used this one in 13 years, I don't think, but it just came to me right now as we're talking here on this video uh, I used to sell, do the sales clothes where I said, we're going to create a, a future so bright, it's like a painting that you can't help but to look at it and admire it and move towards it. That was my goal, to make something so attractive, like a picture in a museum. I wanted to create their future, their possible future, if they were to take this program and make it so attractive, it'd be like a picture in a museum that they couldn't help but be drawn to. And so that's one of the ways that you can deal with a limiting belief pattern is to distract them by a more attractive thing. Now, not a temporary bright, shiny object. This is why people like bright, shiny objects. Who wouldn't like a bright, shiny object? It's, it's, it's alluring. It's exciting. It's intoxicating, but only for a short while. It doesn't have longevity. So then they fall back into the old, oh, the old belief pattern. This is why creating a new, more compelling pattern is very hard to do. Uh, this is why selling somebody on the benefits of quitting smoking usually doesn't work. You take a smoker and you say, hey, listen, let me compete with your, your, first of all, psychological and physical addiction. So words versus addiction, mm, probably going to lose, right? But also your belief pattern is, is I am somebody who smokes on a regular basis. And if I don't smoke, I'm in a lot of pain and, and that smoking relieves the pain. And you try to tell that person you do the old standard shock and awe. This is why shock and awe doesn't typically work where you say, hey, listen, here's a lung that somebody that died is smoking that we dissected. And here's somebody else that talks through their throat and still smokes through that. Do you want a future like that? And you say, of course, I don't want a future like that. Are you going to quit? 
yes, I'm going to quit. And then they go and smoke first thing. That is not usually effective. Trying to create an alternative belief that you want them to buy into instead. And especially if you do it on the positive side, think about how much more time you'll spend with your kids and how much money you'll save. That doesn't work. I wish it worked. It logically seems to make sense. It's like telling somebody who's overweight, hey, just eat less and exercise more. Well, yeah, no doubt, Captain Obvious. It just doesn't work to create a more compelling belief pattern where you can say, think how much better you'll feel and how much more energy you have. Uh, it's what everybody uses. It doesn't work this way. It's my least favorite. There are times when you should consider it. I've given you some, some better versions of creating a new, more compelling pattern in this video. Um, but don't be the only one that you can use in your toolkit. Consider the second one, modifying an existing pattern. I like to use selling as examples because real money's on the line. So this validates it very easily. Does it work or doesn't it work? And I'll tell you, it, it works very often is when I'm selling something, fear is the number one objection to anything I ever sell. And anything you ever sell, probably fear almost always is going to be the biggest objection. And not just fear of failure, but also fear of success. Fear of failure is what if I try this and it doesn't work, I'll look like an idiot. Fear of success is what if I try this and it works and now I have all these new responsibilities and that's imposter syndrome, right? What, and then what if I fail because of my success? What if I can't stand the pressure of the success? So, oh my God, I'm just afraid, afraid of everything. And that's most people in that situation. And so one of the closes that I used to do is I said, listen, you're still going to be afraid. We're just going to put fear in the passenger seat. Now, my question to you is, are you going to put a seatbelt on it or not? That's up to you but we're not going to let fear drive the vehicle any longer. So we make a slight modification on the existing belief pattern. We don't try to get rid of it. We don't try to overcome it. We slightly modify it. Um, another one is somebody says to me, I'm super unproductive, Jason. And I say, how do you know when to be unproductive? And that's so subtle, but what have we done there? What we've done there is modified it at a root level, this behavior, this belief pattern that essentially I am out of control. It just happens to me. I'm just a victim of my own unproductivity. And I've reframed it to, you're in control of it. When do you know to be unproductive? How do you know when to be unproductive? I had a client once and he says, he says, Jason, I just, I guess I want to be more productive. I get to a certain point in a day and I just can't be productive anymore. And I said, uh, how do you know when to stop being productive? And he says, well, what happens is I get to 4 p.m. And no matter what I could do, I can't work past 4 p.m. And I started working with him. So I said, how would you know the day was productive? And what we ended up getting down to, and I know that this is going to sound ridiculous to you, but it works. I got him to see that if he could work till 4.01 p.m., <laughs> then he would consider it productive. One more minute. Because in his mind, what happened was productivity meant hours upon hours upon hours, and that's why he was stuck. I got him to see that if he could just do one extra thing that he couldn't do that day or couldn't ever do before, one extra thing is a net positive. That's a win. That's being productive. And now we've unpacked all this emotion that was attached to this limiting belief that he had, and he was willing to have a new belief. Uh, I, I learned this as I've learned most stuff through Milton Erickson. Uh, great hypnotist, one of the best of all times. He essentially invented conversational hypnosis. Uh, and he would put somebody under a trance. Uh, he had the shot putter one time that ended up winning, I think, an Olympic gold medal in shot put. 
and they were talking about the record and he would say to them, hey, if you throw a shot put, do you really know the difference between 67 feet and 67 feet and one centimeter? And the guy would say, uh, well, no, I wouldn't know. Would you know the difference between one centimeter and two centimeters? And he said, surely, you know, and he started to expand it over a period of time and over a period of time and over a period of time. Uh, and that was the power of Erickson. Another example that he he gives is if a kid came to him who was compulsively carrying crosses around with him all the time, uh, Erickson would say, why don't we just get a bigger cross? Why does it have to be a cross this size? If you really like carrying crosses around, uh, you should get a bigger one. So he's modifying the existing pattern. He's actually going to collapse it, which I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but the idea here is we de-link the common response to it by making a very subtle, very simple change to it. Uh, Richard Bandler, who was also just one of the co-creators of NLP, was so good at this, is he would deal with a schizophrenic and a schizophrenic would say, hey, I got this problem. I watch TV and the people on the TV come to life. They jump out of the TV and they follow me around. And Bandler says, cool, let's put it on the Playboy channel. <laughs> and the idea, of course, there is we take we make a slight modification that we take something that somebody believes is bad and we show them a situation where it might not be bad. And now we can start to play with the belief pattern a little bit. I was at a seminar and I was speaking and she was in the audience and I was talking about perspective shifts because perspective shift is to my money, the number one way to change a belief pattern. I have 22 different perspective shifts that I can run through with any client. Uh, that's, that's probably a video for another day. Uh, and I, I said, listen, I can break it right now. Anybody want to volunteer? I will, I will break a belief pattern right here on the spot. Uh, with a perspective shift. And she raised her hand. She says, I'll volunteer. And I said, what's your issue? What's your limitation? And she says, my team is not productive. I can't get them to be productive. And I said, well, what's your goal? She goes, I want to make $10 million next year. And I said to her, I said, does your team know that? <laughs> I know this sounds ridiculous, right? And they didn't know. And then I said, now that you're hearing it out loud, can you see how this is a problem? And she started crying, but not in a bad way. She started crying in a good way because it was all released, uh, this relief to her that it wasn't necessarily a team problem. It wasn't that her team wasn't productive. It was a misalignment of communication. They were showing up to do these things to try to serve her, and she wanted these other things instead. Uh, and then I was just talking to somebody the other day, and they said, hey, listen, um, Somebody was still talking about you at this event that I was at about how you did this thing that completely changed her life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, is that so-and-so? And they're like, yeah, that's so-and-so. I go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And she's still talking about it many, 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 many months later, which what amounted to was a three-minute conversation of breaking down that belief pattern. And again, my favorite one is if somebody believes they're a failure, I don't try to show them how they're going to be a success. I show them how failure is going to get them to what they want. And then they can decide if they want to continue to be a failure or not. So that's a great way to modify an existing pattern. But now let's talk about my favorite way. It's the hardest way to do technically speaking at first because it's going to run so counterintuitive to everything you know. So you're going to want to hold on to your old schema here. And I hope you can do that in vain because if you just are open to a completely different way of thinking right now, you'll be amazed at the superpower that you could unlock when you collapse an existing pattern. You let it crumble from within, destroy itself. A client comes to me one day and he says, hey, Jason, I've tried everything and it didn't work and nothing works. I say, okay, I, okay, I'll talk to you later. 
I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you come to me and you told me I tried everything and it doesn't work. But what the hell can I do for you? You've done everything. <laughs> Anything I'm going to tell you, you've already done it. So I might as well save us both the time and effort. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. And he's like, hold on a second. Because like I acted like I was going to hang up. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I go, okay, listen. Maybe you haven't tried everything. Just tell me the top 172 things you've tried. <laughs> and he's like, come on, Jason. You know I haven't done 172 different things. Like, okay, really? I, what I've discovered is when people tell you I've tried everything and it doesn't work, they've tried three things. Uh, it's almost always the case. Maybe four things or maybe five things. People would come to me and just be like, oh, Jason, the world's out to get me. I'd be like, yeah, I know. I saw a dog the other day and he had a picture of you that he was carrying with. And, he's, and, he, and he was looking at it and growling at it. I think he's got a hit list with you on it. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, come on. Now they're the ones that are arguing against their own belief. You set up a situation for them to argue against their own belief. And that's one of the greatest ways that you can collapse it. To use another Bandler example, as Bandler would go to these mental hospitals and somebody there would think they're Jesus Christ. And, and Bandler tells a story one day of where he starts to bring in uh, a cross. And he starts to nail it. And he doesn't say anything to the guy, right? He just brings in a couple two by fours and he starts to build a cross. Do, 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 do. And the guy says, what are you doing? He says, don't worry about it. He keeps building the cross, building the cross. Uh, and he starts out and he goes, okay. And he starts to measure the guy's uh, wrists. And he then starts to place the nails on the cross, like make little marks. Okay, this goes here. And the guy says, what are you doing? Well, you're Jesus. And you know what happens to Jesus? We crucify it, right? Uh, and the guy says, well, hold on a second. Maybe I'm not Jesus anymore. Uh, so collapsing the reality, because the idea becomes when you go to somebody and you say, okay, try this cross on, try that cross on, like Erickson was talking about earlier. Well, we can make the cross even bigger. Uh, that's when you can destroy it. When you make a compulsion and obligation, you destroy it. That's what I learned from Erickson. When you make a compulsion and obligation, you destroy it. So he talks about this, uh, this, this story he tells one time when his grandson comes in during a lecture that he's giving and he slams the door. And Erickson says to all these therapists that are listening, he says, if this was my child and I wanted to deal with this behavior, here's what I would do. Uh, he says, I would make them go out and slam the door at, at different times. He said, I'd wait till they were doing something they enjoyed. And I'd tell them, go out there and slam that door. And they'd be like, well, why? I go, no, just go ahead and do it. I told you to go do it, so go do it. It'd be a chore to slam the door. It would interrupt other things in their life. And the kid would say, well, why are you having me slam this door all the time? And he says, well, I thought you liked slamming the door because you did it earlier here. Uh, and now you've made this a chore. So the next time the kid gets frustrated, even if he goes to want to slam the door, he'll think possibly about not slamming the door. It becomes an obligation. He talks about this other one with a thumb sucker, a compulsive thumb sucker. And he's like, man, he says to this girl, nah, Erickson had a way that I don't recommend you model. But he says, he goes, you're really stupid. He says to this little girl one day in therapy and it shocks her. He goes, he goes, you're really stupid because you're wasting your thumb sucking on anybody and everybody. If you really want to get under people's skin with the thumb sucking, here's what you need to do. And he says, don't do it to every single teacher, only do it to the teachers that really annoy you. He brought all the people in on us ahead of time. So he told the mom and the dad, he says, don't say anything when she sucks your thumb in front of you at these periods of time. So he's like, your dad loves to read the newspaper after dinner. So save your thumb sucking for that point in time to when he's reading his newspaper to really give it to him. And when your mom does this, so he found out what her mom does that would normally in our then suck the thumb. And now all of a sudden, it's not a compulsion anymore. It's an obligation. It's a chore. It has rules. Uh, 
I'll give you one more, Erickson, just for fun. Patient would come and see Erickson, and what happened is, you know, she would weigh 180 pounds, and then she would get down to her ideal weight, 150, and then yo-yo back up to 180. And this pattern had occurred over and over and over again. So this creates a belief that if I lose the weight, I will only gain it back. Uh, and Erickson makes her first gain weight. So she goes from 180 and he makes her go to 200 pounds. He gets her to commit first. He says, I'm going to tell you something, but you have to follow it exactly as is. And there can be no ifs and buts. You have to do it exactly as I prescribe it. And only if you agree with me ahead of time, will I tell you what to do? And she says, yes, I will. And he says, you have to get to 200 pounds. So as she was getting up to 200 pounds at 190, she says, oh, please, I don't want to do it anymore. No, you have to. She gets to 195 pounds. Please, I want to stop. No, no, you have to. 199, it's only a pound. Nope, you got to get to 200 pounds. And so what he's done here is he's collapsed this belief on weight loss being hard because the weight gain now became harder than the weight loss. So she never wanted to gain that weight again because it was so miserable of an experience and it was so excruciating. And the losing of the weight all of a sudden became so great and it felt so right that she went down and she stayed at that weight. So these are all the ways that we can destroy existing limiting beliefs in others if we're selling or if we're a coach and we're training and in with ourselves as well. We can look at some of the beliefs that limit us right now. And we can find ways through shifting perspectives and other techniques on delinking the belief of if this happens, then that, or if this, uh, then I'm that, or because I do this, therefore I am that. Those are all make-believe. Every belief is a made-up thing. So we might as well update some of our beliefs and make them up in ways that better serve us today, right now. So try that on. Let me know how that works for you. I'll see you in the next video. Hey, Jason Flyland here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you found this helpful at all, please leave me a review. And thanks again and stay tuned for future episodes.